My mama would say, you gotta fight for what is right. To her, I would say, I wanna give back the world some light. Mm-hmm. But it's an empty road. I feel so. And it's the end of Monday, December 18th in the year 2023. We're going to read through Proverbs 25 tonight. Similitudes, instructions, which I think has a lot of insight into a lot of the challenges we face ahead. Some great wisdom in that, in terms of our place and, and our place with God. I think that's really a big consideration right now in, in all we're walking we have a lot of um, challenges in the faith across the nation right now, as I think people it's, people are searching, trying to find their way. And there's a tendency in the, especially with the influence of doctrine, to really be so rigid that it doesn't give God a lot of room. And the doctrinal approach to things is if it is so rigid within the word that there is no latitude to move whatsoever. Really, when we read Scripture, and if we give Scripture room to breathe, as was said many times to me, as you read the Bible, the Bible reads you. And it unlocks amazing mysteries within what God intends and where we go. And it isn't to say doctrine isn't important, but I, I think one of the greatest blessings I've ever had is I wasn't raised in a church. And that's given me an ability to walk into places that, quite frankly, there's people, I've already had people people that should have had the will at least to have a conversation with me have just flamed out, and especially in the last couple of months, that have looked at the direction that Holy Spirit's led me and really claimed that, you know, it's almost heretic. And yet the, these 
the proof is really in the outcome of where God walks us. It's not in numbers of a number of followers or a number of downloads on a podcast. It's it's really in the in the in the fruit and the meat of the bone, the meat. It's in there of when we see people healed and we see the power of Holy Spirit work and we watch the the power of God in our own lives to really see how the silver and the dross are burned and refined so that there's a purity of silver. And that's being honest, that's putting a lot before the throne. And it's a process that's never ending. So I think it's really important that we consider that as we look forward and walk this way, being aware that there's a lot of people that are just not going to follow. I mean, scripturally, there is no, we, we know there is a grounding and a, a call to heal the sick and the broken. And what does that look like? And I, I really don't know how churches interpret that, that don't embrace miracle healings, that don't embrace prayer healings, that don't embrace deliverance, don't embrace you know, the casting out of demons, and then don't embrace raising the dead. I don't know what that is. And when you don't walk in that, and you're not willing to walk in that, then I really don't know where you end up with in the principal issues. Like when God is asking, you know, we need to be, you need to be healing the sick and the broken as your spiritual shepherds. And that's scripturally grounded. So it's an interesting time. I think that um, people are struggling that are still being held within the walls, what I call the dead stone walls. And I, and I think there's a lot of tendency. I am very hard on the church. I'm hard on the church because I saw the church in my youth turn into something that it should have never been. It was driven by economics of poverty, of people having their jobs taken away. And in so doing, I saw a church turn from being a place for people to seek refuge and to heal and to hopefully grow in God to a church that became an evangelistic nightmare, became full of door knockers and the revelationists that started to call you out to say, if you didn't follow their way, you're going to hell. I saw the the divisions of churches in a small town. I mean, I was in a, t- a town at the time of 14,000 people and there were like 50 or 60 churches or more in that town. And to this day, there's still a lot of churches here, but the, the doctrinal divisions that happened within churches was ludicrous. And it became their way or the highway. And we, I've mentioned before how I saw this corruption in, in faith happen to where it wasn't about God, but it was about finding a refuge from having to pay a bill, bill that you owed. So it would be an excuse not to have to pay a bill or excuse to do something else. And all of this was under the categorical arc of the reborn movement, which is some dark aberration from the Jesus movement, which is, it really had nothing to do with it at all. So from my perspective, I grew up with a high level of suspicion with the church. And I still have carried that suspicion, especially as we want to walk through COVID. And we look at the church as I've taken time and continue to take more and more time studying the, the church of the origins of our nation and looking at the boldness that we had in our ranks of pastors and the willingness of them to speak out against tyranny, the willingness for them to speak against the British occupation at the full risk of who they were, knowing very well that they could be arrested, they could be thrown into one of the prison boats, they could lose their, their protective cover from the crown, they could have their churches burned down, they could have their communities ransacked, and the Hessians were the part of that. I mean, there was, a, there was a very violent period against the church in our nation. But we had the courage of the pastors to do the right thing and to speak out against these things. And it wasn't perfect, but it was a lot more bold than it is today. Today we have a lot more of of a church of convenience, a church that is, to a large degree, is more focused on trying to attract and make life comfortable rather than making life accountable. And that's just not in my heart to do. I'm less interested in whether you have a nice coffee bar and everybody can have a latte sitting in the, in the pew than I am about the hard messages that get into what's going on in our world and how we have to apply our faith to fight this and win. And there's just not a lot of that going on, unfortunately. And so we 
have moved away from the model of what I would say is God's model, the ecclesia, which is the church is a center point. It is building on the community. It's a church that talks about the, the experience. It is built on testimonies. It's built on the idea of extending and bringing resources into the community. The churches should be centers of training places. They should be a place where people come to learn skills, to homestead, to grow their own food. There's resources there for them to get food, to get training, and to raise that up. And there's just not a lot of that going on. It's more important to fill the pews, to give a message on once on Sunday, as most pastors do once a week. Some will do more. There are some churches that will do, pastors will do six, or they'll do four sermons a week, typically the same one they repeat over and over, which is good. And so not all churches need to fall under the the exit list, but there is a definite need to change the nature of how our churches work. And I will I do not believe that churches should ever step back from growing food and reaching into the community and teaching the community how to do community gardens and teaching community how to raise up their self-sufficiency. I think that's an essential part of what the church should be. I believe the church should be leading in those sort of Jeremiah 616 um, roles where it's literally seeking the ancient paths, right? And it should be the place where in seeking the ancient paths, they should be looking towards leading the communities back in the right way to where we have balance and we have the idea of going back to what God intended. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths. And I always looked at it, it's to ask for them not to expect them to be there. And unfortunately, a lot of the training in churches is to expect that something will be delivered to you. And it continues, where the good way is and then walk in it, and you will find rest for your soul. So as you ask and it's shown, then you have to walk in it. And that's our responsibility to make that choice. And there, as we, it doesn't say it will be easy. It just says you'll have rest for your souls. And as I read that, I would say a lot of that has to do with the fact that we are not walking upstream, but we're flowing with Holy Spirit in our lives. And then it says, but they said, we will not walk in it. So there's a split of people saying, agreeing with going back with God and others saying, no, I'm going to go my own way. And we have a lot of that going on. In the last year, and it's really, it's been a year, and it's been a, a wild year. And, 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 you know, every year we come up to Christmas and there's a, I've done a Christmas special for the last two years. And this year, it's completely different. I've asked for people to contribute. And this year, just by virtue of the time and the pace we were doing things, we kind of got down to the last minute. And I realized I hadn't asked anybody to contribute, and I'm not going to this year. And I don't know how long the message is going to be this year, but it's going to be my message. And it's a message of really looking back on this last year of seeing where we've come. Bars Nation has changed. And, and it's changed significantly over this last year as we have moved into places that many people weren't comfortable going. And I'm okay with that because it was as God led. We've gone through a place where I couldn't even tell you what deliverance was a year and a half ago. Today, deliverance is an active part of everything that I do. And I not only do I do it on the phone, not only do I do it with people, I do it as part of the team down at the Church of Glad Tidings. A year ago, I couldn't tell you how to go about miracle healing in prayer. Now, as a community, we, we do miracle healings, and we do it every single Sunday, and we get the testimonies to show it. S six months ago, I couldn't tell you how I would do a prayer language, and today I have a prayer language it is powerful, it heals, and I have the results to show it. And it's not my results, but it's how God works through me, and it's the Holy Spirit. So I say all these things because all of these things are scriptural, and it's the direction in which things have been led as I've prayed and the doors have opened up. And with that along the way, you get the people that say, I question you, I challenge you, I think you're wrong. And it's like, okay, that's all right. And I, and I don't contest it. I just tell them, you know, I pray with them and it's like I pray for them and say, hey, I wish you well. And it's, that's the, that the old me would have fought. It would have gone into a, a, a trench and tried to fight you out on the principles. And, and anymore, I just don't. 
Because God's going to call people in many different ways. And there's, there is an, a refining that's happened within Bar's nation that is very clear to me that where we're being pushed into, drawn into, raised up is to literally be in that fight of the spiritual fight. And it isn't to say, and I was thinking about this today very deeply, that it wasn't to say that people didn't, don't, that the churches are outrightly wrong. I mean, if they're teaching, if they're teaching the book and they're teaching the word, it's not that you're wrong. Is it that there's no life in the Holy Spirit? But for some people, that's what they need. So then we have to look at that other level, which is the spectrum of things. And you have to look at where some where people, God places everybody. And there's those that are going to be with Gideon, and then there's those that are just going to be reading the book. And that's okay. And that's the greater acceptance that we arrive at, even though we, in many ways, by the happens so often is we end up in this place where the doctrinals will point their finger at you and go, you're crazy. You're not, you're not doing things right. And yet I will tell you, everybody that I've worked with, that it does deliverance and healing and and does the, the issues of even approaching raising the dead. All of those people arrive at the same place that everyone I've ever met. They look over to the ones that want to say, you're wrong. And we say, we love you because it's part of the body of Christ. So there's an exclusionary aspect that has happened in the modern church, which is very tragic. And that exclusionary aspect has literally led us to a place where the division is greater than the unity. And church branding and church identity in the temple is greater than the understanding of the body of Christ. There is a fear in some of the church today of bringing in the aspects of healing. And yet the fact that they don't heal is Exactly what God said he didn't want his spiritual shepherds to do. So this is a, a an amazing journey that we have shared together. And I'm blessed that we have been able to share it. And you've walked my journey with me. And hopefully it's spilled off to help you. But that's not been the objective. The objective is just to walk the, the journey as God's led so that I can share it and we can move together as it works with each of us. And it's a very wonderful place to see just what strength we have in a community. And again, it's not numbers. You know, we could have 10, we could have 6,000, we could have 100,000. And for those that are obsessed with numbers and those that are obsessed with my way or the highway, it's, it's an unfortunate place to be because God is not like that either. But that's how people see, unfortunately. And it becomes so narrow and so blinded that exclusion and division end up being at the root of all things. And there is where we arrive at the modern church and what damage it has done rather than building unity. And maybe it's not just the modern church. Maybe it's all people's hearts too. There's a lot of damage that's been done to the greater body in, in understanding walk with Christ and I don't have this thing down like I'm some expert learning every day opening up every day but the few things I do know that we have to be willing to do one is we have to be willing to take ourselves before the throne and ruthlessly and brutally repent for that which we have done and then open ourselves up to be able to lay it down the way God needs it no matter what it is and that means the most sacred things that we care for and to really put that in meat and context of what we're talking about, and I use the example of, of Paul Cantrell, who is a real brother to me and I to him. And what that is is when he takes his family and he's running a business that's extremely successful in Portland, Oregon, and God says, I need you to walk away from that business and I need you to take your family on the road and I need you to trust in me. And they use up every bit of the money that they have to do this mission, and every time they turn to God and they say, what next? And every time God provides. The total faith and trust in him. And I have my own stories of the same. But that's laying it down. And it's the inspiration we should all have to try to lay everything down. And when for Paul, he's laid down his entire family for that. That means he's trusting in the Lord that the, the plates of food will be delivered every day or we will be filled. He's trusting every day that there will be gas in the tank to move the vehicles along the way. 
He's trusting every day that there won't be some major breakdown that'll leave them stranded in the middle of nowhere. That's the way that works when we lay it down. And we're when we're there with him, our trust has to be with him, not in anything else. And that's ultimately where we walk. And we walk in such a powerful way that if we don't do that, then what we're trying to do is steer our world. One of the messages that you know I've been very hot on a week after Bars Fest was really this message of the root of the family. And it's not that I have been, I am hot on it. Because everything about that was led and the walk that I did was led by God. And the, the, the revelations that were shown to me took it back to the garden. And it was all part of leaving Bard's Fest, which is actually Bard's Fest 3, and really being gifted with the beginning steps of the prophetic and the apostolic. Didn't ask for it, it came. And it's a powerful place. And it's one you have to nurture and you one you have to walk with carefully. And so... It's a very important place to distinguish how these things are said, how we deliver, and, and whose authority we're speaking under. And part of that walk was to really show me that so much of where we are is a fight to save humanity because we have to save the root of family. It's been so lost and so damaged. And that is all the illusion in which we live under these days. All of this stuff that goes on out here, whether it's the economics, whether it's the transgender movement, whether it's the, the, the wars that they're trying to start, whether it's the illegal alien invasion, if you follow all those roots down, they come to the same place. They end up being a war against the family. And so, so much effort is placed on these echelons and tiers above that root that when we talk the root, it's hard sometimes for people to follow it back and see it. Many people don't want to see it. They want to hang on to their interpretation. And maybe that's because they enjoy the comfort of where they are. Maybe their relationship was built completely on the pleasures of sex. Okay, I can't change that. They can. And they don't want to address that. Maybe that there's the rationale for having two children, three children, rather than an intended blessing that God may have had six or ten children for you, was based on economics and they don't want to hear anything else. Okay, that's all right too. But the fact of the matter is that the message doesn't have to, just because the message doesn't agree with people doesn't mean the message is wrong. In fact, the message, to my opinion, gets more right the more that I pray on it because you start to see how profound it is when we step out of the way of God and we let God flow, especially when he takes someone like me. I've had people tell me that I have no right to speak to relationships and family. Because my experience has been one of brokenness and I have no right to speak there. And I just say, okay. And I keep rolling and God says, speak. And I say, speak. But see, like, that's one of those things that's kind of ironic to me because I ended up seeing the perfect example of, of a good family as I grew up. I had a mother and father that are still together this day. They're not divorced. They've endured some tough times. Family's not perfect. I had a mom that made breakfast every day and made dinner every day and saw to it that we had lunches to go to school every day. It supported us with whatever things we needed to do and the PTA or whatever was involved and she was there and she worked a part-time job. I had a father that run his own business and he never missed a single event ever of my brother or I, whether it was band, whether it was football, whether it was track, whether it was wrestling. And I was active, very active in high school. So was my brother. My brother was part of the, at that time, they had the McDonald's marching band. When he was in high school, he was selected to go on the national circuit for national, for marching band. My parents didn't miss a single event. And it cost money. And my dad had to put his business aside to do that. And he always did. So we, I had the great example. And yet my entire process in my life became a train wreck. In, in the various sense of relationships because I was pursuing the wrong things because there was damage when I was young, damage that I didn't wasn't able to deal with until I got older and damage at a deep level, damage of the exposure to pornography, the exposure to a pedophile in the neighborhood, the sort of nasty things that nobody wants and yet that's the way life is today, is, but only worse. And so you develop a deep respect 
for what healing can do, for what deliverance can do, for what forgiveness can do. And it took me a long walk to get there. And it hasn't been easy. And I've kicked and streamed about this, going to the altar on some of this, telling God I won't, and then and he just kind of shrugs us off, and it's like, are you done complaining? And then yes. And I've he's tolerated my resistance to his push to a point now that it really isn't much at all. Because if God wants something from me, I may have a hesitation, but if God wants something from me, I'm going to say yes and step into it. Because it's that great. And that doesn't translate to some sort of prosperity gospel where you suddenly look to the skies and you have a Learjet delivered to you because you've been praying. It might go the opposite way to where he's asking you to use what you have in a way to draw it all down. There may be where you have little left, but it's all in the end of the day what he's asking you to do for the greater works of kingdom. That old journey has been part of this story here. So as we enter into a week of, of celebration of life, and celebration of the, of the birth of Jesus. And of course, we get into this annual thing of, well, should I have a Christmas tree? And what about Christmas being the different day that Jesus was actually probably born in September, not December? And we do all these things, and it's like, let's just take a moment since we have the time to celebrate the birth of Jesus and to have the intent in our heart to do it and not get wrapped up into the obsessiveness of thinking that somehow Satan has no more power over us. And we do that a lot. We give greater credit to the enemy than the enemy deserves, and we give greater space for the enemy to grow than the enemy should ever have because we think somehow that the enemy has a hold on our heart and we have to rebuke everything, and we have to cut everything free. If we don't, it's all going to wipe us out. And so much of that is the intent that's in our heart and who are we walking with and how are we walking. And that doesn't give too much. We don't want to go too crazy on that latitude because pretty soon you're going to be, you're going to find people justifying everything. And it's not a point of justification, but it is a point of having the intent of how we walk in this world. And so, as I've reflected this week on, you know, what do you do with that sort of story? What do you do when you're usually doing a Christmas special? And I had committed to doing one every year. And what story do you tell? And I really don't have that story yet. And I don't know how it's going to look by Sunday night. But there'll be something. But I do know this. It's going to be a very personal discussion about this walk in resetting the church, restoring the church, and what it means to me and where God really is. Because God isn't living in the boldness of us dead stone walls. He's living in the world. It's out here where I have 16 head of cattle and we've got five, maybe seven now calves on the ground. I have to check tomorrow. And we've lost one. And it, and it's that same place where you, you mourn the loss of the one as much as you celebrate the birth of the seven. Because not everything in life survives, nor is it, in, is it by design that God has something to, to die or by design that Satan suddenly wins. It's just sometimes the forces that compete for life and death, death occurs. And so we, we want to we want to pray against it and we want to preserve life and we want to create those hedges of protection and we want to rely on our prayers and what they can do in that warfare. But not everything in this war in this world is going to survive because we live in a fallen world. But in the visceralness of life with God, there's more visceral living God in eighty acres with sixteen head of cattle and the life around than there is in any church with dead stone walls. And for that matter, any church with physical walls just is. It doesn't mean you can't raise the power of the Holy Spirit through him and praise, and you can. But the true power of the church rests in our heart. And it's a church that has no limits and no bounds. When we walk in that anointing and we walk in that acceptance, it's a powerful place for us to be. And we truly start to see the world in a completely different light. And we let God breathe. And he let God move through us. And we let God raise us up. These are beautiful times in which we live. And I think it's too easy to forget that. And I think in these times right now, especially in this season, we get wrapped around the gifts and the 
children are wanting things and we want to supply them with these things. And there's a heaviness that hits them on families. And if they, especially right now with so many families that are tight, they are short and there's a guilt and there's a weightedness. You know, I haven't met a single family that has said to me, we're going to just spend time not opening gifts, but reading the word. I know that's hard for kids. I know that because I, I was, we were all kids and we all know what Santa and all that, whether if you do Santa, I don't do Santa. But whatever that Christmas morning meant, it is a big deal and the gifting is a big deal. But that's also an, an interesting thing to, for all of us to reflect on is how did we get there? How did we get to the place where the gifting was greater than the biggest gift, which was the birth of Christ? I don't know. And I struggle with that because even in the most focused of families, those that walk even heavy with the Holy Spirit, it's amazing how much the material aspect of Christmas becomes a dominant factor. And I'm not trying in any way to be a Grinch or to be some sort of killjoy for this annual part of this year. I'm just pointing out that in the celebration of life, the real life that we feel is not going to come through the giftings of material things is going to come from the giftings that our Father gives us. And if we had those anointings that were active and alive, there would be something absolutely amazing that we would all experience. Before the, the uh, Cantrells left for about a week, they went up to visit family, and they'll come back. So the house is quiet in an unusual way. And I'm, it's good on both ends, whether they're here or whether they're on the way. It's, it's, it's what it is as God placed but before we left, Gabriel had asked me something. And he's the second. He's, right, he's behind Elijah, who's the oldest. And he says, Uncle Scott, he said, what do you think about New Year's if what we do is we do baptisms? That's a heart that I love. That's a heart that's looking to bringing kingdom into the new year and celebrating it. And it's something we all should be asking ourselves of how do we celebrate God more deeply and how do we get to a place where we can bring more God into our lives in this time of year, not more gifts into our lives? Again, not trying to be a killjoy, but we have to be real here. We're in a very critical time in this war. You know, Pete Chambers said it the other night. He goes, I don't have anything against football. For, for all you that are so obsessed about football, we don't have time to be wasting watching that game. We have a war to fight. And this is true. We do. So, in that sense of things, which is so important to grasp, the war that we are fighting is a war for the survival of humanity. And that's not overstated in any way. We have been, the, we have been ravaged as a human, human species in the last three years. Ravaged. We've had millions die and millions become permanently disabled. We have an unprecedented level of a population of homelessness in this nation, drug addicts, and other things. And we have such this need to consume with material things when this country needs more prayer, more repentance, and more leaning into God to ask God for the works and wonders of the world, the miracles. We need it. All that said is not in any way to, and I'm not doing this, I'm not putting any sort of guilt curse upon people by suggesting that because you're going to have a great Christmas with material things, whatever they are, toys, events, whatever, that that's a bad thing. Because God doesn't also doesn't want us to be deprived. But it is something to reflect on very importantly in a family of where is the focus though? And again, it gets back to intent. Where is the focus? Where is the intent? What is it that we truly, truly need to be in, driving in our heart in everything we do? And that's important. We define our world so much by the intent in which we have. And again, that gets into some of those fringe areas. I, as I've said many times, I'm a kingdom person. I don't believe that we're, in, that we're at the end of times of the revelation. I just don't buy it. And I don't believe that that is even a process that, that works that way. I think it's 
something that people and people will push back against it because they want to watch, they want to see things in calendar and events and they want to put them together and believe that that's all God. When I would argue if you're seeing them, it's probably not God. It's probably the enemy making it, you think it's God to set you up. And in the end of the day, all that leads to this, to a very, two different, very, two different worlds, very opposed to each other. One is that world that says Jesus is coming back to fix it all. And so it, it perpetuates a ap- apathy and a lack of engagement because you can't control what's going on. So people pull back, they pray to themselves, they are more focused on staying dedicated to the pew in the church. I'm using these as metaphors. And you end up with an outcome of a very apologetic, very overtly compensating and weakened body of Christ. Of those that say they follow Christ, they are not warriors, they're simply waiters waiting for that time of Jesus to come back. And then you have that other side. And that other side is a side that's saying, we are in a place now where we have to bring the victory into the world, that Jesus gave us victory on the cross, which is where I walk. And with that, you find the need to try to grow your gifts and talents. We, we seek out that place to heal people, to deliver more people to speak the prophetic, to have the apostolic work within our lives. We seek to speak the gospel of Jesus Christ because we want to bring people into this. We don't want to, and we want to bring them in with the anointings that they can receive. We believe in a faith that is active and alive, not one that's passe, that there's no longer miracles in the world, but a place where there's more miracles than ever now. And we want to be part of it because Christ told us we can Christ told us we can do these things and greater than he. So those two worlds are are juxtaposed. And it's going to find comfort for two different groups of people. And it isn't going to be easy for a, a, I would say, a unification to come along those lines. To a certain degree, that's exactly what we've witnessed here in Bard's Nation in this last year, especially in the last, in the post-Kentucky event which is actually quite stunning to me because we left an event there that was amazing. And, and I've talked about this some, but I really want to address it tonight as we head into this week. And I told you we were going to read, we were going to read Psalm 25, but I can tell you right now that isn't, or Proverbs 25, but I can tell you that isn't going to happen tonight. Maybe tomorrow night. Didn't expect this to go this way, but that's what happens when you lean into the Holy Spirit and say, lead. Holy Spirit was alive and Bars Fest in Kentucky. It was flowing. We were walking in the yes. We were walking in a place of saying yes. And what I ended up having, what I've ended up witnessing and have been the recipient of are so many people that said no. And that no wasn't just simply a no, it was wanting to tear it down no. It was wanting to divide. It was wanting to be haters. It was wanting to blame one person over the other. They didn't want to hear what was right and what was going right. They wanted to they wanted to speak to what they were uncomfortable with and so they attacked. And it's been a tragic walk to witness this because it's truly the hand of the devil, but it's weak people that walk in a weakened faith. And that I say very boldly. Because if your faith is strong and you understand what happened at Kentucky and you understood the power that was gifted there, the th- miracles that we were witnessing, the late mor- the early morning hours of deliverance when we were truly seeing things happen that can be, no, can be described in no other way but miracles of the living God. When you witness those things and see them, they change you. Unfortunately, so many didn't want to see them. They didn't want that. They were uncomfortable with things that they were witnessing. And they took sides. It was never about a person. It was always about God for me. And wherever God led me to speak and and others that were there and we got us to speak, we did. I've seen pastors turn on me 
that I trusted. And I literally sat back and said, well, okay, if you're turning on me and I trusted you and I've been giving you a message, there's only two answers. It's either one, I don't hear God at all and they're right, or I'm hearing God and whatever is happening is causing a reaction in them, be it demonic, be it a deep wound of needing healing, but it's provoking something to try to stop the message that I'm hearing from God. So I chose one. I chose the path of saying I heard God. And everything forward that I can line up shows that I did in the way I walk because things happen, doors open. Then they just open, they flew open. And that sort of walk is one that I pray for everybody because that's the walk in the yes. And it is not an easy walk. And it isn't one that you're going to be the most popular guy on the block. And it is the walk that's going to provoke people to try to throw stones and cast stones just like those they did against the adulteress. Because it's easier to throw a stone than it is to look at yourself. And in no way here do I put myself on a pedestal in the sense of saying I don't, that I'm some far above rebuke or reproach. I have had so much poured into me to challenge me, to push me, to break down walls. And those are stories that I don't tell all of them here because they are deeply personal. But I can tell you that there is no stone that gets left unturned. If we can find it, I'll turn it over and I'll bring it to the Lord. Because that's how we let set ourselves free from this bondage. So there's been a tremendous movement in Bars Nation in a year, in a year and a couple of months. And it's the place that we walk into now a very powerful step into 2024. Christmas represents that celebration of life and a reflection of where we've come in this last year. And it's tremendous. And last year's theme that God put on my heart for the Christmas special was answering the call. And I committed to that, and that's become walking in the yes. But it's the same thing. Where he puts on your heart to lean in and answer the call and do not hesitate. And that's been my walk all along. And I continue to move faster and harder and higher in all of that. Wherever he will let me go, I will go. And I will walk into places that even seem a little bit wild or even fringe, if you want to say. Because if I think he's got me there, I know he has me there for a reason. And if I, can, if I hear his word, he says, go there, he will go there. It reminds me of a story that I've told before here, but it's an important one to recount. This is really before I knew God deeply, but it's an interesting path that I've known all along. He's led me places, even though I didn't know him. And I've told you this before, but it's important to keep in mind. He spoke to me when I was four years old on the sidewalk outside of my parents' house on Dent Avenue in California, San Jose, California. And he's told me, you were born in this time for something special, something very unique. Okay. Didn't understand it then. I'm seeing it now that it's a powerful moment in time to be. So I look back on my life from a very different lens than I looked at my life even three or four years ago. My life has been ordered by him, even though, or at least it has been reordered by him, even when I stumbled and fell. I don't believe that he's led me to make mistakes, but I know that he's used those mistakes. And I know that he's used what the enemy's thrown in my path to derail me to mature me, to give me a richness of experiences that could never have happened had I been raised within the dead stone walls of the church. And so when I arrive at a point now where what is being asked of me is to look greater and farther than I ever have, I find it very easy to do because I'm not restricted by the things that I was always told or the many people are told that they can't do or, not, or won't do, the examples I've already given deliverance, miracle healings, raising the dead, just to name three. So in 2005, I was preparing my photography skills to go do an embed with the goal of doing an embed, which had not been confirmed yet, but that was what I was seeking as a combat photographer. And in 2005, I really wanted to be a combat photographer, but that was going to be the direction. 
and that all was morphing very quickly because that whole industry was collapsing at the time. They were firing the photographers from the staffs. And the only avenue you had was a citizen journalist, which is what I became. But there was an, a project that was I was led to do. And it was as gritty as it gets. And it was on the edge of where I will guarantee you, even speaking about it to some, they will probably raise their hands in prayer to try to rebuke it. Because what I did is I spent a month, literally, five days to sometimes seven days in that month a week, inside one particular strip club in Portland, Oregon, called Devil's Point. And I filmed and captured the stories of those that were doing the the work of strippers. And as I reflected back on it, I have such a deep understanding as much as I can of why Jesus sat with prostitutes and tax collectors. Because these people are so broken and yet they understand life so well. There is more, there's a faster conversion to take somebody who's a stripper to bring them to Christ then people are comfortable in their material world. Sad but true. And Jesus knew this. They were not, they were bound by all the ease of the world. They were burdened with all the brokenness of the world. And they had to survive. I've said many times, if you could listen to the language and the conversations with Jesus, and I won't say them here, but I can guarantee you that they were very off color when you're speaking to some of the people here. Because many of these girls don't have anything else to give in thanks but their body. And you have to hold a line to always walk away from it, which I did. But there there are people that are seeking something greater, a freedom from the imprisonment that they're in, a slavery that they've been put upon. And it is that. It's the worst of the worst. And the only validation that they give for themselves is men primarily, who go to these places to watch them spin on a pole to take off their clothes and to stick dollar bills up on the stage or worse. And that's the validation that they know because they almost every one of them comes from a broken family, parental abuse, probably incestual rape, and some sort of drug addiction usually, and, and something on the streets. And every one of them has a similar story because they've had to make up a story to justify what they're doing. And typically it goes something like this. I'm going to school, I'm saving money to go to school, I'm trying to be a model. And then they have dreams of being a model as a stripper. They have to build a story. And they don't have a story to give or receive that's greater than them. In reflection, what I was given was a glimpse into something so essential in our life that we overlook every single day. It was the underbelly of everything we do. And Portland is an interesting city because that's where I live because that underbelly is very vibrant and very alive. And it's the communities that come together that don't have Jesus, but they have nobody else but themselves. The strippers, the suspension artists that put hooks through their skin and lift themselves up in the sky. Yes, I've been to those events. I've filmed them. I've been in the backstage when they've been putting the hooks through the flesh. It's hard to watch. And watching them suspend themselves is even worse. The pulsing music of the sync and the synth that's going on all the time. The bars that are full of people drinking as the girls dance and they don't really care, but the girls are trying to make enough money to pay rent and put food on the table. Because without it, they're homeless. And probably worse, they'll owe the stage like they owe the store. This is a very dark part of our world that isn't just limited to Portland. It's everywhere. It's on the streets. When you look around, it's in the homeless areas where you have people that are trying to survive and someone else is there to always take advantage of them at night. So as I look across my life and I see these things that I've witnessed, and these things are harder for me to even deal with now not in dealing with, but a, but a really thinking through, then it is war. Because war is a pretty simple place. You're going to kill somebody or they're going to kill you. It's 
the code is easy. And it may be hard to rationalize at the end of the day, but it's a lot easier than having to rationalize being a sexualized object for somebody who wants to rape you and give you a few dollars for it. And you may have to do that just to put food on the table or worse because you've got an addiction to put heroin and inject it in your vein by your neck so nobody will trace it or under your fingernails. See, this is the odd dark underbelly of a world that is around us that when we talk about the pew Christian, they never bother to see. And so the richness of what that has given to me is the seeking out of ways that we can reach these people and to raise them up in the body of Christ. Because ultimately, when we raise up those that are most broken, we give the greatest gift to the world because they become the greatest advocates for Jesus. Because they know how far down one can fall. And I think that's why God seeks the broken. And I think that's why Christ sat with them, because they were understanding how far one could fall more than anybody else he spoke to. And so that brings us really full circle. Because the journey that I've gone on and the things that God's given and the things that I seek with a fire and a passion in my belly, deliverance, inner healing, the miracle healing of physical, uh, physically healing people. Those tools of raising the dead. The power of the gospel and the, and the gospel of Jesus Christ and the greater works, which we can't even see. The power of doing a, a miracle healing in front of somebody that they can witness and what that does to an entire crowd. You could heal a stripper in front of everybody and have half that crowd come to Jesus in the same time, trust me. Because they're all seeking. And the conversions and the bringing to their knees of the weeping before Jesus is so profound and so possible. And yet we don't talk much about that because it's off color. So to understand my heart and where I walk and what I bring here, it's the passion to do just that. It's the passion that I've had my whole life in the pursuit of being able to bring the healings into the world in such a profound way that literally... We watch the miracle God come to work and come to life. And I know we can do it. I don't have any question about that. I don't have any doubt that it can be done. Sometimes the understanding how to bring about, how to bring it about, that's a challenge. To understand the speed at which God wants to allow it, that's not ours to choose. But we know one thing is that if we're fighting from kingdom and we're bringing it into this world, we're already on the winning side. So in reflection of this year, as I bring things out around full circle and I look at this year and I look at how much of a gift we had at Flemingsburg and it does sadden me to see how many people in Bars Nation turned on each other in a gift that was given in such a profound way to be blessed by the Holy Spirit which so few people actually get to touch. It's a moment to weep before the throne to say, Father, I do I do not know what they have done, but I know this, we will continue to love, we will continue to pray, and we will continue to invite them back and back in. Don't be one of those. Walk with Jesus. Put your heart and lean in to the gifts he gives us. Use this time of year to reach farther and deeper, to reach into those most broken and to raise them up in the body of Christ. Build bridges. Don't blow them up. Follow what God says to you and be obedient to where he says to you, even if it's unpopular with people to hear. Don't waste time disparaging people, but if you're going to pray for somebody, be honest in the heart. Don't lie. And stay committed to the bigger mission that we're doing here. To protect the orphans and the widows, to heal the sick and the broken, to raise the dead, to do a greater work in kingdom than you can ever imagine. Turn everything over to God. The material things wear out. The spiritual gifts never do. They mature. Seek them more deeply. Go higher and farther than you ever thought possible. Just ask him how. And if you don't have those gifts from Holy Spirit, ask Holy Spirit to give you those gifts. Wage war against an enemy. Don't do it with guns. Do it with prayer. 
If God tells you to pick up a sword of steel, you'll know. Otherwise, use the sword of the Spirit as he's authorized you to do all the time and waylay this enemy ruthlessly. And be compassionate for our, our friends and our neighbors. Love thy brother. And understand that the greatest gift we can give is to sacrifice ourselves for another. And don't do it, don't do it recklessly. But understand that that sort of willingness to do it before the throne is laying it all down. When we walk there, when we walk in that place, that is where we walk in a period that we should be walking all the time, but most importantly, a reminder now because it's the blessings of life that Christ gave us and what truly at the end most of this should mean. And when we understand that, and we understand that as we set ourselves free and keep ourselves free and help others to be free, we're tearing this matrix down. We're defeating the enemy at every turn. One prayer, one person at a time. And above all, don't be afraid to walk into places that may not seem to be where others want you to go. Tread where those are afraid to go. And when you do, walk with Jesus and bring Jesus with you. We change the world by going to the places of darkness and bringing it to light. We change the world by reaching those that everyone else forgets. But when we raise them up, the world never forgets the stories that they tell. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you today just very humbled and blessed. And we thank you for all that you give. And we thank you for the blessings you provide constantly and continually through our lives. In this time, Father, as we celebrate the period of life, let that flow through us. Let it raise us up. Let it remind us truly in this walk of what it is to lay it all down and to do the work that you guide us to do, to do the greater works of kingdom and to do so without concern for how others see us or, or for that matter, what we have to give up to do it because we know in the end of the day, if you call us, it is where you need us and all will be provided. And so, Father, that gets to fear and strength. So I pray this evening for just an anointing of the strength of the warrior Christ in people's heart, but equally to truly embrace that walk to such a degree that there is no fear. And that we should walk with no fear in this world because we are not of this world. And when we are walking with you, fear is literally a sin. So let us embrace the gift of life the gift of Holy Spirit, the, the anointings that you put upon us. Let us raise our arms, Father, and say yes. And may we be blessed with all that that yes means, challenged as we should be, but walking in a greater glory than in kingdom that we have before have never known. This is my prayer and my blessings for this amazing community. May it be heard and may it be given. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. So there's so much that we can do and so much that we can lean into and deliver and so many that we can bring out of the darkness into the light. It just takes courage. And courage is in the power of Holy Spirit. Fearlessness is in the power of Holy Spirit. And once you're there, there literally are no limits. There are no walls to stop you. There's just God. Just God. Keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God always wins. But we are here in this time and this place for just such a time as this. We are at war, so walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land, expand the kingdom, subdue the enemy. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tomorrow morning for Bended Knee. Until then or until the next time, God bless, good night, thank you, and out for now. Oh, I want to feel 